Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to listen to the best music podcast ever? ever. Available on six platforms: Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Spotify, and more. You're listening to the Win Words Fail Music Speaks podcast with James Cox and Blake Mosley. Words fell. Music speaks. Interview. Our next guest's mission is to raise awareness of the power of music as self care. He is a world leading expert on the power of music for physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Holds magnum cum laude degrees in piano performance and creative writing and has led a successful IT consulting practices for more than 30 years. In 2011, our next guest launched Music Care Incorporated for a for-purpose corporation to teach and for practical ways music can be used for your self-care. He was recognized by the National Council for Behavioral Health with an award of excellence in 2014. The industry equivalent of winning an Oscar. Wow. Our guest has started piano lessons at the age of three years old. He grew up playing and performing and realizing very early that on that the discipline of playing the piano was also a behavioral Oscar practice. When he began non-seeking traditional audiences, Alzheimer's patients and people struggling with physical and emotional injuries, stressed out business people, parents, caregivers. He began to understand the, the truth power of music as a tool. He has been a witness to the power of music throughout his life and speaks openly about how he used music as a self-intervention in his own behavioral health care including confronting suicide tendencies. His volunteer work in the field brings him uh, into consistent contact with people who are of age and have been homeless, free substances, and are combat injured or caregivers. He is the world's most leading expert on music's power for physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Here he is today and inspires us all. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bill Protman.
Mr. Cox. Yes, sir. Should we be formal? Yes, sir. Mr. Cox. It's a pleasure to be here on your show. Man, it is so great to have you because I I just listed a whole lot of stuff, which is incredible, incredible stuff. I'm really, really, really excited to have you on. Thank you for coming. Well, thank on. you. Yes. I'm I'm humbled to hear all that. It's like at some point in your life, you kind of wonder, you know, why am I here? And then, and then I just said a whole lot of like, yeah, yeah, it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, so sir. I, I I don't share this openly, but anybody who wants to research it can find out that um, the Behavioral Health Care uh, Award of Excellence from the National Council on Behavioral Health Care. It's a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they give those awards of excellence to people who have. Uh, sort of dealt with a lifetime of behavioral health issues. And my lifetime of behavioral health issues is off the charts on both sides. So I I grew up chronically depressed. And when I finally, like in my late thirties, early forties, had a therapist that was working with me and gave me some clinical testing, um, I turned out to also have schizophrenic tendencies. So not only am I chronically depressed, suicidally ideated, but I had these schizophrenic tendencies. Basically, I just don't fit in the box, man. Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. like they can't put me in a category. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you're, you know, you've pretty much done it all, really. I mean, because yeah, yeah, look, looking, reading your your introduction, I just said, man, man, you've been through it, you know. So, you but know. you know, you don't set out to do like all that. It just sort of happens to you. Right. Right. And um, I, I got to hear your episode with uh, Savannah and, and she's got this number one song in South Africa. Right. Right. And, you know, I had a number one song, too, but I didn't even know it was happening at the time. Really? <laughs> you know? Wow. Okay. And you remember MP3.com? Yes, sir. Way back when. Streaming. Was, so, yeah, way back when. Years, yeah. Yeah. And, and people's like, Bill, you got to put a song on MP3. So in the 90s or whatever it was, yeah. I uploaded my my take on Amazing Grace. And, um, you know, it's like, okay, so you upload a song, right? right? And dang it all. I mean, it was number one for like a month oh, um, wow. in July of some 90, 93, 90, I don't even remember right now, but it's like, whoa, you know, that happened. Yeah. And you didn't so, even know it, did you? I didn't even know. Somebody had to tell me. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so where were you when, uh, when uh, somebody told you? Actually, I was at, I was performing. Um, well, I wasn't on stage performing, but I was in Colorado at this little tiny town, Westcliff, Colorado, which is nowhere, uh, but it has a performing arts center. And I have a friend who helped get it started. It was an old theater, like from the 1890s, carbon arc projectors and this, you know, just crazy thing. But it's a it's a full on performing arts center there now. They do festivals, or they will when COVID's done. Mm. But um, I was up there performing, and somebody in the audience said, "Hey, Bill." You know, afterward, you know, did you know that you're got a number one song on mp3.com? And I was blown away. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. You're like, holy crap. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I was like, well, that happened. And, um, you know, and, and that same medley, um, uh, no, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm bragging. I'm not bragging people. I'm just sort of like, this is so curious that these things happen. But right. years later, like, I don't know, it was probably maybe 10 years ago now. I got an email one day and that medley has been included in the library of Congress permanent collection yeah. <laughs> for amazing grace. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, you, you don't set out to like, you know, get your song included in the library of Congress. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, I didn't even know what that means. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. 
so stuff happens, you know, and, and I, I'm just so grateful that the music touches people, whoever they are, what, who, whoever's music it is. You know, James, it doesn't really matter if you're touched by music. Yeah. You and I were talking about this just right. a few minutes ago. Music is like the, especially right now, we got the election holding up. Yeah. That's, grabbing on to yeah. music is just, you know, it helps keep me grounded. Mm-hmm. You know, man? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why I started this. Um, I am also um, uh, have depression uh, too. And music mm-hmm. just does something to me that, that really makes me feel better about myself, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really motivating. And when words fail, music speaks. That, that's, you can't be, you can't be further from the truth on that one because there are some uh, songs out there that are just, I, I, what, 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 you know? I can't even explain how that made me feel, you know? And that's so yeah. amazing, you know? So, yeah. There's some songs. When I even when I re- just remember them, it makes right. my skin crawl. Yeah, in a good way, right? Oh, There's yeah. the scary stuff too, but um, you know, I can I can if I need it, I can grab a piece of music and just bring it to mind and start to play, and it changes everything. I mean, I can feel it changing. I breathe, my shoulders drop. You know, I just become relaxed. Yeah. Same thing for upregulation too. But most of the time these days, man, it, we're way too upregulated. It's just right. Yeah, give me some peace. So. <laughs> You know, I've, I've got playlists that help me out there. And as a, a, in this process of our journey of depression, if I can say it that way, yeah, yeah. how beautiful that we have music because we can sort of do depression safely. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. You know, yes. you don't have to, there's no self-harm involved in that. You can just go deeply into the feeling. Right. Knowing that, you know, it, it's going to pass like cool. a good laugh or a totally. good cry, you know, it's going to pass. And the music somehow helps to speed that so it doesn't get all locked up inside and, and you know, turn me into a, a really stressed out person, which right. I tend to do too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, dude. Yeah. Full um, disclosure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, one of the other reasons why I, I, me and my co-host Blake Mosley started this podcast, to be, honest, to be fully honest with you, is, uh, you know, um, I don't want anybody else to feel like the way that I do when I'm depressed. You know, I just mm-hmm. wanted everybody to feel happy for at least an hour, you know, however long hour episodes are, to get away from all their stuff going on, you know, it's just one hour full relax, you know, that's, and that's why I do it, you know, it's just make other people happy, you know, so, because I don't I want them agree, to go yeah. through what I went through, what I, what I go through when I'm depressed too, you know. Yeah, so, I, I, I'm i with you on that, there's yeah. so much about music that's joyous, I mean, I, you know, growing up as a classical piano player, you don't really find fun music right. when you're doing that until <laughs> later on. And, and yeah. I'm fortunate that I found some fun music. I love to play ragtime. Mm-hmm. And that sort of track of my music thing was just a blast. It was a gas from the word go. The first time I ever performed ragtime, it was so, so much fun. And then that led to a Dixieland band and just all of this sort of musical theater work that has been so satisfying and beautiful for me. And it's hard work. I mean, it's challenging but it's way more fun than preparing a, for a classical recital. Right, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and I love the heavy music too. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. when you get in that place, you just need, you know, depth and, yeah. and sometimes you just need angst, like right. Metallica or whatever. Just put it on, man, let it play. But it's, the joy that comes. It's, it's so funny that you mentioned that because when I was growing up, my mom and dad took me to Bush Gardens. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm sure oh, yeah. you're, you're familiar with And they took me to like all kinds of country um, concerts there because country artists came for like the millions there. 
So I saw Johnny Cash and Reba McIntyre and uh, oh, and uh, lucky and, man. Yeah, but see, I don't remember seeing Johnny Cash, and my mom's like, "Yep, you did." I'm like, "Oh my god, dude!" I saw Johnny there. Cash and I didn't, yeah, and I didn't even know it. Yeah, but um, but during high school, I got out of the country phase and I moved on to just straight Metallica, like, sweet, like you were saying, you know. And that was my band for like the next ten to ten to fifteen years, you know. And then when I got when I got in college, I started developing my love for country music and other uh, other uh, genres of music too. So you know, I I, I really broadened my my mind to, to experience all these unique sounds and you know that that other other genres you know um, can produce for me. Yeah, it's like flavors of ice cream or something, but. I, that's probably a bad analogy. It's like flavors of food. It's we need it all. Yeah, right. And, and you know, I didn't learn to like spinach <laughs> right away. Who does, right? Right. Who does? <laughs> but there was a point where it was like, oh wow, this is really good. What is this? Spinach? That stuff I used to hate. Right. You know, and, and uh, I've become much less judgmental, I guess, about new music. Um, fortunately, over the I last ten years or so, yeah. I've had uh, my my second family all teenage daughters uh, and they introduced me to more modern stuff and I got really into rap and uh, hip hop and man, there's some awesome music happening out there right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it turned me into a music hunter. My wife is as well. And she's like the music curator in our family. Right. And we're finding, um, well, we had this whole playlist developed over last winter of songs by Norwegian folk singers. Mm. You can't uh, hear this. It's not in English, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the music is incredible. It's just like, wow. Yeah. I mean, this music exists, right? Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you've heard um, like Russian metal, metal bands out of the Ukraine. You can't understand the words. No, right. But some of that European metal is sublime, just over yeah. the moon. And um, I mean, it, it's it's poetry and it, it speaks in a way that American pop music doesn't necessarily speak. And I just discovered something really cool, which you probably already know, but I had a, um, in, as part of the quest, I teach this online course. Right. We had a guy from South Africa he introduced all this South African country music. So the fact that Savannah's song is like a number one song in South Africa. Yeah. Wow. There's this huge appreciation for country music in right. South Africa of all places. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's gorgeous. You know, and yeah. the, the indigenous South Africa. Oh, it's so amazing. And, and of course we can hear it now. Thanks to technology, one of the good uses of the internet. Right. We can we can you know, we can collect all that music and and participate in it. Have you ever heard of a guy named Alexi Murdoch? Has he come your way? I have not. Look for him later. I can send you notes on that. Oh, oh yeah. And then there's Please this do. amazing band. Um, what are they called? They're called the Two Tracks now. The folk band that started in California and now they're in Wyoming or Montana or someplace. Just who would have ever heard of these bands right. and yet they're able to, to get on the world stage and have followers and, and fans that can support them and whatever. And what an incredible time to, um, to be a music consumer, right. I guess let's put it exactly. that way. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you, you might have to go all the way back to your childhood. Oh, if you must. <laughs> all, all the way. Yes, yeah, sir. I'm, well, I mean, you know, okay. So, um, First, okay, so you so, so you're a pianist. Um, yep. How were you introduced to the piano? At, well, at, I kind of at three years old. I, I, I didn't like, have a choice. Oh, you know, mom okay. was a piano teacher. Well, she was a primary education teacher who okay. played the piano, and and she decided probably after my sister and I had gone through the ringer with her that she was going to do that, and 
as a, as a living and she made a studio and she had lots of kids come to the studio. Nice. So I was first and then my sister and I lasted with mom for maybe two, three years. And then I've had a succession of teachers since then. Okay. But there, it wasn't really like an option. You know, there were the piano, the piano was in the house and, um, you know, I was going to learn to play. And, and some of the earliest photos of me are sitting at the piano on my mom's lap. Yeah. So I, I did. And, and it was painful. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. until I was in fifth grade or something, it was just a grind, you know, yeah. sitting and practicing when you want to be outside playing with your friends. And, and yeah. you know, there's not a lot of fun to that. But Ragtime came along. A movie The Sting came out. And I don't. I had just learned to play a piece of Ragtime that wasn't in The Sting. But all of a sudden, I was learning Scott Joplin and people wanted to hear it. And I had a blast, you know, for the rest of my uh, high school and college, I was just playing music that nobody else was playing and, and, and people wanted to hear. And, and that's really gratifying, you know, as a musician. Right. So, um, uh, you said that your mom was your teacher. So, so what was her, her methods into teaching you how? This is a great question, James. Thanks for asking. Um, so when, so I grew up in the sixties and at that time there weren't too many piano theory, uh, pedagogical piano studies out there. There were a few Francis Clark method. And right. I, I don't know, was John Thompson piano method and Suzuki was actually in the world, but it wasn't in America yet. So mom started me out on a combination of things, but she eventually became a Suzuki piano teacher. And Suzuki's famous because you see these giant concerts of little tiny kids with little tiny violins sawing away and all right. playing together, hundreds of kids all playing at the same time. And, um, so it, it it's for all instruments, but it did start out with strings and eventually it worked into piano. And um, she then sort of developed that even further because her background is pre-primary. She realized that there was something about music that helped kids focus and that that focus went beyond the instrument. Mm. It helped you be able to focus at school if you're doing schoolwork or doing chores or playing games or whatever as a musician, you develop holistically, like you develop your eyes to read the music, you develop your ears to hear what you're playing. Right. You know how to make the right touch happen on your instrument so that sound is good. And yeah. if you ever heard a beginning violin student, you'll know exactly what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you have you have to develop all that. And so that of course affects your brain and motor skills. And by the time you go through the process and become proficient, you know, able to play well, um, you've actually given your whole being a boost that affects every aspect of your life. And yeah, you know, musicians tend to be good at math, but there's a behavioral healthcare side to this too. So mom never shied away from taking little kids. In fact, her studio was mostly kids that were uh, pre-primary or primary education, including lots of kids that would eventually be diagnosed as ADHD or have some other learning quote disability. Right. Didn't stop mom. And, um, <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so she was able to help those kids in ways that medications just don't, yeah. you know, instead of suppressing their tendencies, mom was able to help them direct them toward a goal, toward a, a musical goal. And by allowing that to happen, those kids were then able to go off and do other things where they could direct their energies that way. And uh, the greatest proof I had of this was when my college music teacher, piano teacher, PhD, performing artist, all of that, had kids that weren't able to focus on their instruments. She picked up the phone and called my mom and mom gave her some ideas and both of her kids. Now the, my college professors, piano professors, kids are 
classical musicians playing at high levels on one's in an orchestra, I think playing clarinet. Another one is a, a piano player playing at amazing levels in the world from a background that might have resulted in them being medicated in some other environment. And so I'm just so grateful that music is there for these kids because they're yeah. adults now because of what it was able to do with them. Right. And thank you, mom, you know, for helping perhaps me and my sister navigate some pretty difficult times too that we didn't become aware of until we were adults later you right, know right yeah so uh yeah so god bless her mom did some great work and i hope touched a lot of kids lives a lot of families lives oh yeah yeah because it's it's not for there's just individual it's it's music is for the whole family too to get in on, on in and relate to each other what they like what what you need to hear what you you know it's like it's, and everybody, everyone has different likes and dislikes. And for somebody to come up and say, hey, you need to listen to this band or check out this piano, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know? So, yeah. If we connect, like if you and I were to listen to some music that we'd never heard before for the first time, we'd learn stuff about each other. Right. Listening to that music that you couldn't learn any other way. Right. Or you know, sharing music like that just creates a connection that you, you can't create without the music. It's so cool. Yeah. And, and of course, being a vehicle for that as a musician is really amazing, but anybody can be a vehicle for that just by picking up your iPhone or, or I was going to say iPod, by picking up your <laughs> iPhone. I <laughs> yeah. myself. Yeah. Say, hey, have you heard James? Listen to this music, man. I've never heard this before. What do you think? You know, and, and, and getting the music and the vibe together and, and being able to share that, which, I mean, we could do remotely, right? Yeah. If it wasn't yeah. a podcast being recorded and we'd get busted for licensing, we could do it now. There you go. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, okay. Can't do that, you know? So, um, did you start writing music at, at an early age or did you start writing when you felt more comfortable, like, learning how to play the piano and, uh, and understanding hmm. where, where, where everything was and everything you needed to, to sound like? When did you start what writing a, music? That's a lot of insight in that question, too. I... Um, the first album that I made uh, that was all original, I didn't write down beforehand. <clears throat> just went into the studio and, and recorded it. Just turned on the mic and boom. Right. And um, I made a couple albums since that are pretty much the same way, but I have like taken the time to write music down. And to me, that seems like, you know, I want to go running. I want to run and I have to stop and stodgy and write this stuff and whatever. But I had to do some of that, of course, in college. Um, there's a, there's a requirement, not for composition. I didn't take any music composition in college, but our theory class had a musical composition requirement. I actually got to play a piece I'd written on the pipe organ at the school, which was a little bit embarrassing, but <laughs> you know, it was fun. So um, the, the flow of the music as improvisation sort of came first for me. And then the discipline of, writing it down and actually making something, you know, complete out of it that could be repeated by somebody else that came later. Yeah. And um, it's a great joy to do that. Um, one of the, one of the days where I was so depressed, it was just, you can probably relate to those days where you just want all the lights to go out and be yes. quiet. Yes. The morning after that, I woke up and I had a music in my head and I realized it was a song and I wrote it, wrote it down. And then the words came and I wrote that. And pretty soon I had this song and it was all done. You know, by the time I realized what was happening, it was all done. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that kind of flow does happen too. It's um, I, I, a famous poet whose name I always forget said, it's like a, a poem is like trying to run after a train that's going quickly through the station and you want to catch it before it leaves. 
And I've had that experience with music where you want to try to catch, you want, you want to get it all before it's gone. Right. And put it down in some form that's useful. So that's kind of a weird answer to your question, but it it, it gets to the essence of it. So when you were in high school, um, did did you, uh, you probably had recitals in in high school, right? So did you sign up by yourself for those or did your mom say, you're, you're too good. You need to, you know, show the world what you have. You know, well, there, so there like, wasn't. Did she sign you up, or did you go and you know? It, two things. I mean, I was chasing the fun stuff on my own. I played saxophone in the high school band, and you know, I was the the pit piano player in high school musicals. I actually did a melodrama as the the pianist in the melodrama for an Elks Club or something. Right. I was finding that stuff on my own, but um, because of the musical track that I was in with the what they call it, the Music Teachers Association, there's just like in in pro sports, there's amateur sports where people filter to the top and then those people get pushed to the next level, et cetera. So I was going through that kind of a thing with the music teachers association and, um, you know, won some competitions there and was a concerto soloist and, and that, that kind of, you know, classical stuff that happens. But, you know, I, I realized at one point that I, chasing the classical piano scene, in fact, chasing the music scene in general takes a real special kind of person and I wasn't that focused to be able to go for it at, at the level that, um, you know, the, the seven or eight people that play classical piano professionally do, or the half a dozen people that are jazz piano prodigies do. Um, I wasn't a prodigy. I had to work hard for what I have. And um, the people who were in that realm, you know, James, it just seemed to me that they were too, too narrow. Uh, there wasn't enough there there yeah. and and I wanted more you know like I wanted to be able to play piano and you know do everything else in life <laughs> yeah. and that I would miss something if I focused at the piano eight hours a day yeah. so um, I, I didn't chase it the way that many people do and I, I'm happier that way I think because I don't know if the life of a professional concert pianist would really suit me and even in college, they said, Bill, you got to get a music degree, a music degree. I'm like, no way. Have you seen those people? They're in this practice room eight hours a day. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to have fun with my life. Yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of where it went for me. And from time to time, I've, I've pushed. But the biggest push for me since college years ago now has been taking the initiative to actually offer music, like you said in the introduction, to audiences that wouldn't hear it in any other way you know, drag a grand piano to some place where there isn't one and, and offer an audience that's used to coming to the place, a novel kind of a concert or a novel musical experience. And um, so I played in like galleries and given concerts. And we talked about West Cliff, Colorado. There's another one that was a great opportunity go to the middle of nowhere, Colorado and drag a piano out there. So places like that are the things that intrigue me being in front of people who wouldn't otherwise have a chance to experience what it's like to be in a, uh, you know, in a, in a concert hall with some guy in a tux and a grand piano. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah that's, that's been the thing that motivates me. Of course, that's led to a bunch of other things too, but um, I, I love being in front of people who wouldn't otherwise have heard me play or anyone else maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome to hear. So, um, okay. So with depression, Okay, there's this in, invisible monster called suicide. Okay. Yep. So I am not gonna lie to you. I have thought about it, but 
So thinking about it and doing it is two opposite, completely opposite things. And, sure, I, sure. and I don't think that many people are aware about that. Um, so I I read in your profile before I got I had you on here that that music saved your life in a way that that not many people can could understand. So can you go into that in in, in a, if you can vast detail about it? Sure. That's, that's that's one amazing story. You know. Yeah, it's it. You know what you're saying is first of all what you're saying is so true. I I think and many people do that if you're talking about suicide, you're not doing it. Right. And all the people who are professional at this intervention and whatever um, will say the same thing. And if you're listening right now and you, you want to make a difference in somebody's life who you think might be suicidal, there's training you can take uh, called question, persuade, refer QPR. It's offered free by a lot of the counties and behavioral health uh, organizations in the United States. It's maybe an hour training. And what it does is it gives you the confidence to be able to look at somebody and say, James, I'm concerned. You don't look like yourself these days. Is everything okay? Right. And just like open the door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now it's very rare that you're going to get somebody to come back unless like James and like me, we've been there before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah totally. you know, hey dude, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling kind of suicidal today. Yeah. Most people you know, say that and you know, you get committed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. The, the people get concerned. See, I heard, I, I found out that if you even, State of fact, most, most some people or, or most people said, "Nah, you're not. You're, you know, you're." you're oh yeah, they try totally, to paper it over. Yeah, they try to like you're not going to be any chat up. You know, it's like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for help, but I'm not asking for help really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and when I was in that place, the last thing I wanted was help. You know, I had plenty of help. I could call my therapist, call my family, call my friends. Right. Yeah. Want help, man? I just needed to marinate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, so so, I didn't know much about suicide by that time. I had lost a friend to suicide and I'd done some investigation and there were antidepressants involved. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, that, but I, I tried antidepressants didn't help. Um, I mean, as a musician, our job is to go deep. So if, if I can't go deeply into sadness, I'm not doing my job as a musician, just like if I can't go deeply into joy, right? you know, yeah. or anger or fear, whatever. So, um, when I found myself at this place, um, which was really a turning point in my life. Uh, my marriage had ended. I'd gone bankrupt. I didn't have any cats. They'd all either gone with other people or passed away. You know, I, my daughter had just graduated high school. She was headed off to college. So I was an empty nester. I mean, it, everything that was part of meaning of life had sort of ended and, and I had to reinvent who I was. And um, I'm not really great at that. And having a history, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. when, when you're in that place, you sort of regress into yeah. your, your, your core. And, and my core uh, had been big sadness for such a long time. And so on that particular evening where it just felt like all the wheels come off and I had to stop, whatever that might be, um, I decided consciously that I wasn't going to pick up a rope or a gun or something like that, but that I was going to sit in my chair put on the headphones and put on a piece of music that had some meaning for me. And what, and what kind of music was that? Right. So <laughs> the piece of music I chose is a piece that I'd heard ages, ages before when I was um, homeless, literally couch surfing after my first divorce. This was the second one. Mm. And it came on my clock radio one morning. Remember clock radios, everybody? <laughs> it, you know, it came on. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, the alarm would go off and it was tuned to your radio station, FM radio station that played classical music. And this, so I, the song woke me up. It was classical piano song. I'll tell you in a minute. And it was weird because I know that I'd set the radio to classical music and yet this song sounded new age. It sounded like George Winston or, you know, one of those kind of weird, repetitive, a little bit monotonous, but still melodic kind of pieces of music. I thought this can't be right. The radio is on the wrong station, mm-hmm. but the music got me. Yeah. It captured me. And years and years later, I learned it and I played it in, a, in my senior recital as one of the three pieces of Rachmaninoff that I chose. And that one's actually an etude tableau and a minor for people who want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but um, it meant something to me. And so that was a piece that I chose to sit with and I put on repeat on my iPod because that's what we had. <laughs> And just let it play. And it is one of the saddest pieces of music. You know, James, it, yeah. there's some, I, maybe it isn't sad to everybody, but it was sad to me. And so I just sat there and I, my intention was to just stay safe, to stay in the chair. But what happened was that I started to weep. I had no idea how sad I was. Yeah. And I must've cried for a long, long time because I'd sat down around sunset on Labor Day of 2007 and when I woke up with the music still playing in my ears, it was full dark. And I was just exhausted. I was so tired. But I was still breathing. And all I could do was just drag myself to bed. And, and that's what I did and slept. And I've realized since that as terrible as I felt that night, and as much as I wanted to end it all, what the music did was to let those feelings flow through me instead of keeping them all stuck and yes. prompting me to some destructive action. Mm-hmm. The flow of them unlocked something in me. Right. And what that thing is that got unlocked that night, you know, September, Labor Day of 2007, is still with me today. It's some sort of a... Um, I was going to say it's an inspiration, but it's more than that. It's like a needle that sticks in me and says, no, keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this. Right. You need to do this, Bill. And it gave me back a sense of meaning and purpose, which can be annoying at times, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but it, it's kept me going with this kind of an intent ever since. And the realization is, you know, not that I, quote, avoided suicide, the realization is that heroic journey, that deep, dark journey through the, you know, the, the night of the soul, whatever you want to call it, that's something that's important to do and to do well. And if we can master that, that process and do it with intent, just think of what we can unlock, like the energy and the power that you can unlock by, by being able to make that dark journey successfully. And, you know, oh dang it, it's happened over and over and I haven't faced it as suicide. What I've faced it with now is okay, here it comes again. And I know that I can do this. Right. I don't know what the results going to be, but I know that I can do this. So however dark, however deep, however sad, however scary it is, I know that I can do this. Yeah. And of course, the universe has provided me plenty of opportunities. So here we are, COVID. Right. There's a there's a deep dark opportunity. Yeah. The election. There's a deep yeah. dark opportunity. Deep, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, things come up, and 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 I know that I can traverse those things. 
Now, I'm not the blown up soldier, but the folks who've had post-traumatic stress or have combat injuries, and you see them on stage, you know, they're quadriplegics talking about what it means to be alive right now, mm-hmm. you know, and how they didn't die. Um, one of the guys that I, I've had the chance to work with a couple of times is a near-death experience survivor. He was shot and bleeding out, and he died for 15 minutes. He came back to life. Mm-hmm. And um, that changes you, right? And I know that these all sound dramatic and things in ways that we can't even imagine. Oh, and my little brush with suicide is, you know, pales in, in comparison. Yeah. And that's not what it's about. It's just like being willing to say, okay, it's traumatic. It hurts. Yeah. And here I am walking through it, you know, and on the other side of it, who knows, but I'm going to be changed by this experience in a way that will help on the other side and maybe help somebody else, you right. know, that I can work with. I've run a, a suicide group. We had a, for a while, I ran a group called um, Suicide Without Judgment, where people could come and talk about suicide. We had a lot of people who were suicidal there, and we had a great time. We didn't lose anybody. And I guess <laughs> the group good. did its job, you know, because we decided at one point we no longer needed it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. So, uh, hooray. Yeah. And maybe just the uh, the willingness to go deep that way, knowing that you're safe, is one of the most beautiful gifts that music can give to us. You know, and if you're feeling that deep, then find music that supports that. Just listen, because you can survive that. You're just listening, right? You're just sitting there. You don't have to do anything. But go for it. You know, just yeah. be with that music and let it change you. Wow, that's a long answer to a short question. No, 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 no. no that's that's perfect. That's 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 what I was uh, wanting to hear. So uh, thank you very much for uh, telling us that. Um, oh, you're welcome, man. Yeah. Every day I wake up and like, I don't, I don't. Today is gonna be a good day. You know. Because, cause if you if you take if you, you know, do the suicide drop, you're missing on everything that you could have done. Or had oh yeah, it's over. That's it. That's it. You know, and there's so much things alive. There's colors. There's 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 trees. You know, there's life. They're you know breathing around you, and I have too many um um people that actually depend on me not so for for me i do it for them because i know if if i had to help them out somehow some way it makes their life a little bit easier and if they're yeah. if they have suicide that, that takes them all, all away from you know so and i do new music man new music's coming out every day man i just got a um a uh a, a vinyl record of uh Bro- brothers osborne have have you heard of them you know, I, I, I'm vinyl so record is good, what's dude. making me breathe. But yeah, vinyl. Yeah, it's, it's, kind of, it's like the organic, the it's, real stuff. It's, it's back, man. Yeah. Yeah, totally it's back. back. Yeah, yeah. So I just got vinyl, and and uh, I'll, I'll I'm going to tell you three country artists that you need to hear. I, I don't know if you heard them right now, but Brothers Osborne is one of them. Got it. Chris Stapleton is amazing, and Luke Combs is the best country music artist today. I'm dying to get on him on my podcast. Oh, I man, love it. Man, he is it, you know. And he just and he even released a new a new record, you know. So it's it's so amazing that you're missing out on a lot of good opportunities, a lot of good friends, you know. So oh yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm very glad that I you know I mean I I never even thought about doing it for like years and years and years. So you know, so I've got somewhere like, here. It's amazing. I've got this giant stack of papers, but somewhere in here is a little scribbled note that I wrote 
which I want to develop into an article someday about how country music is like the Mozart of our era. Yes, <laughs> it is. Right. It's, it's so accessible and it speaks so deeply and it's, I don't, I don't want to say this in a pejorative way, but there's a simplicity about it that isn't in like prog rock or metal or something there. It, it's just so clear. Right. And it's also got the, this wonderful paradoxical combination of joy and sadness in the same song. Like you could have sad lyrics in this happy music. Mm-hmm. That's just so amazing. It's like the blues, but it, it's, I, it, it, it's inescapable how powerful that is. Yeah. And the fact that it's so popular. Exactly. exactly. People get that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they get that in, in some level. They can't describe it. They just buy the records and, yeah. and great do that, you know, because yeah, yeah. that's what matters. Yeah. That's what's keeping the, uh, you know, this art alive. Right. And it's indigenous sort of uh, American music too. I almost said it was like white uh, blues, but I don't think that's actually accurate. Mm-hmm. I've been so influenced, of course, by African music in my musical career. Ragtime is African. Like it's, that's how, that's what black people in the United States did in the 1890s. Right. And jazz and you know, like Miles Louie and just Ella. It's incredible. And we got, uh, well, B.B. King comes to mind. B.B. King's off. But Kebmo, one of my favorites, and he's riding the line between country and blues and he does it so well and, and it just blows me away yeah. and the two tracks i'm gonna look these guys up thanks chris yeah. stable and luke cohen who was the other one you said brother and i missed it brothers osborne brothers osborne yeah they're two brothers that sounds familiar and they do amazing they're, they're they're all country artists and i will give you another one to, to write down because so, i'm gonna tell you a little story um you never know how how music will touch you and this happened and this haven't happened to me in a long time I have a good friend who comes in. To, I I work in a thrift store, and she comes in here like like once or twice a month, and she's great. She's great, you know. Um, and her husband drives a NASCAR, right? You know that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so yeah. I, I I find that so cool. So, um, the guy that you I want to tell you about is Eric Church. He has a song called Talladega, right? You know the the the, the motor runway. One of my favorite movies, Talladega Nights. Yes, yes, very <laughs> funny movie, man. Yeah. So, um, uh, when I was li- I when I take a shower, I always listen to music because what else can you do in the shower, you know? Yep. Um, and that song came on, and I don't know why it just overtook me, and I started crying. There you oh, go. Like automatically, and yeah. that song automatically rem- reminded me about my friend Becca, you know. So I yeah. mean, she's amazing, and and. I I I've always wanted to take my dad to to, to Talladega, or I wanted him to take me. We we never had a chance to, and I don't know when this COVID stuff is going back. But I hope hope to God that you know that I do take him because that that song spoke spoke many many things to me that I just can't you know that that, that I just can't relate to you right now. You know. Well, I get it because I understand what you're feeling. I mean, I don't understand your feelings precisely, but I know yeah. the process. Right. So when you say it made you cry, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. In, in a good way though. You know? Yeah. 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 yeah totally. totally. It brings it all in. And if you're listening to this right now and you have that kind of response, um, I've cried for happy music just as hard as I've cried for sad music. Yeah. It, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, I remember sitting in church one time and I don't know if I was singing or not. There was this music anyway in, in church and I just started weeping. It's like, I got embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else was crying, but I, I just, yeah. I was so overcome um, yeah. with, with, with feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, that was the only thing I could do. And um, 
I've gotten pretty good at crying in public. <laughs> you try not to do that on stage because it's overacting, right. but you know, <laughs> right. if the feelings are there, then just let them go. Yeah. I get that feeling, you know, if I'm at a baseball game and they play the national anthem, that's like, yeah, that's yeah, that's, yeah, that's the most, yeah, I, th I think that's most, most of the, yeah, I, I, like I said before, I can't explain it, but, but I hear you, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, this is not really political, but um, I was listening to a speech that Joe Biden made in, at Gettysburg, and he said something that really resonated for me, which is, imagine what it's like for a black person to love America. And the only thing I could think of at that moment, James, was how the Star Spangled Banner makes me weep. Mm. Right? Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if, I, you know, I don't know, who knows? But it, it got me not just thinking, it got me feeling. And it was such a beautiful moment for me. It's like whatever speechwriter wrote that, you know, deserves a raise mm -hmm. because that's really what it's all about. It's like reaching out and saying, Hey, you know, imagine how James would feel if he heard Talladega. Yeah. Right? And, and that's the kind of thing that will stay with me now yeah. from our interview. Right. You know, that, that's the, that goes home with me. Right. And when I hear that music for the first time, I'm going to know. You're going to know that where, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's how we, that's how we come together. You know, that's how we come together. I, I mean, I feel I'm, I'm not a gospel piano player, but dude, amazing grace. I mean, that's like a universal song that belongs to everybody. The LGBT community community has it. It was written by a slave trader. Yeah. Um, it's been adopted by who knows who, and, and the words are just this universal meaning. It's like to, to plug into that is overwhelming. If I think about it, I mean, I just like playing the song, right. but all all of that is there too. And, and what an incredible, like you, you can't even know the connections that are in the music when you hear it. Right. Yeah. The fact that you felt it in Talladega is so powerful. Yeah. It's just so powerful. It creates a bond that you can't get any other way. Right. Yeah. I got to go listen though. <laughs> yeah. Please do play that amazing song too. Um, okay. So you have a company called Music Here Incorporated. Um, yes. Can you go into detail about, how it can be and and what do you actually do there for people sure. who actually want to possibly see about coming to you and you know yeah i'm i am um, I'm, I'm so blessed james I, I grew up in an era when music therapy was becoming more well known and when research was starting to you know sort of assemble itself around music starting with dr oliver Sacks, actually people before him mm -hmm. but there's some been there's been some incredible um clinical research on music and what it does to us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, it, it, you don't need it, the studies on this. If you're listening to music, you need half the pain medication you'd need if you weren't listening to it. I mean, that's, that's like overwhelming. <laughs> right. So um, my clinical friends in the music therapy world who are doing this kind of work, this one-to-one -one work with clients with a therapeutic purpose are just amazing people. And, and I'm blown away by them. I'm not a music therapist. I'm a piano player. But I discovered, as you've pointed out, that this behavioral healthcare effect of music is huge. It's just vast. And then, of course, my mom was able to demonstrate how that worked with kids. And I felt that there, would, there needed to be a more formal way where people who wanted to engage with their music uh, with a purpose could learn to do that for themselves, whether or not they're musicians. And uh, fortunately, over the last 30 years or so, um, there's been more and more awareness of that. And there are organizations out there, in addition to the American Music Therapy Association, there's one called the, uh, the Palliative Association for Palliative Care Using Music or something like that, uh, where clinicians who are not music therapists help to guide people through their end of life 
with music mm-hmm. to lessen the pain. And, and, and it's, it's really remarkable, the work that's being done. But as we talked about this, um, I realized that there's a bigger opportunity. Uh, I got to work with an outfit called Guitars for Vets and playing the guitar is great for post-traumatic stress. It just totally helps relieve the symptoms. And you don't need a therapist. All you need is a guitar. <laughs> right. And I mean, I found listening to music, of course, for me was an intervention for suicide. Mm-hmm. And I've found that that's the case for other people as well. You've talked about how music affects you. And it turns out that if you bring your intention to almost anything, it'll have a positive effect on you. That guitar playing for post-traumatic stress, they're able to measure the effect of that, lessening the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And yeah, I think it's a lot to do with music because music isn't just there to stop pain and it's not just there to help your brain. It does all of it. It does like the brain and the pain and the emotional stuff that you and I have experienced. And then it has this inspirational thing, this spiritual, whatever it is, it just opens you up to potential. Why not make it possible for people to use music in that way and offer people some sort of a guide for their intention with music? Instead of just in the background, like bring it up in the foreground. What can we do with it in the foreground? How can we actually mind ourselves? How can we speed our change? How can we help our productivity? How can we, of course, lessen our pain and sort of intervene with symptoms and things like that? These are things you can do on your own. Right. And music hasn't been taught that way. In fact, it's hardly taught at all. (laughs) To be honest with you, the awareness of music is just so low right now. But music care is all about advocacy and education for people who get curious and say, how can music really come in and help me in this place? And this place could be a stressed out corporate executive. You talked about them, could be a blown up veteran. Um, It could be an at-risk homeless person, or it could be like normal people like you and me who are just sort of dealing with life and stress and the crazy of the world. Mm -hmm. And what can we offer in that place? And turns out that there's quite a bit we can offer. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't need a clinical therapist to come and sit with you. What you need is somebody that is sort of take you by the hand and say, okay, James, we're going to look at this piece of music now. And we know it's something that you love. So let's unpack that and see what's working on you and get behind that wonderful sort of overwhelming emotion that comes up. What's in that? Right. Why is that? And, and how can you use that? Because once you understand what's going on there, that's like a superpower yeah. and human beings are, we're, we've, we're built for that. It's not like a gift that you got that I didn't. All human beings respond to sound and rhythm If we can help people understand the power in that and how to bring their focus to that and then with intention use that, oh my gosh, there's so much that can be done there. Not just relaxation or mitigating stress or stopping pain because music works on us in in a holistic way. And for me, I think the answer is that that, the ultimate goal of that is helping us do the heroic journey. Music can let you practice that before you have to go out and do it in real life. You know, and, and, and why not practice? Because we need some heroes these days, people. <laughs> you know, yeah. heroes and heroines are in short supply. Yeah. So why not practice for that? And all it takes is headphones and some intelligence, and you're on your way. So Music Care is about that. And um, we have an online community of people who've been through the quest. Yes, it's a quest. Uh, it's a big deal to bring your focus to music. And so we like to present it as a quest, not a course. And people have gone through that six-week process are just uh, some of the most amazing people I think I've met. I talked, told you about the guy from South Africa. Uh, people who are, that, who are ready for that journey are the people who are willing to take it on, whatever it is. It's like, bring it on. I can do this. And if I can do it once, 
I can do it twice. And if I can do it twice, I can, I'm ready. I can do it every day. If I need to more than once a day, I needed to all with a music player. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Well, I find that so awesome that you, uh, cater to their needs, you know, as, as you say, you know, you give them a piece of music that they like, and I feel you could get a really true, um, true feeling of what that music does for them. Cause I feel if yeah. you give them something that they don't like, they'll give you the opposite of what you are trying to relate into them and kind of help, help them, you know, I learned really fast, man, because <laughs> yeah. the music that I might think is good. Isn't the music that works for you. So the yeah. music that works for you is the music you love. Right. Like I could hit you with rock man off. You go, Bill, give me a break, man. I want to go back to tell <laughs> and you'd be right because yeah. powerful stuff until you find something else that hits you that way we're gonna work with what you have instead of trying to force some like this is the prescription music for for x right and it's like no that isn't gonna work right. yeah. <laughs> that's not the I right way to go at it at all we've got to start with what's hard so yeah. So, um, I, I love hearing what people love. The, the music people love blows me away yeah. in, a, in a beautiful way, yeah. you know, and we can work with it because it's, it's your music. Um, now do you have one-on-one sessions or, or is it strictly online? Well, I, in the past, but <laughs> before, yeah, yeah, before, yeah. so uh, from March or something of 2000 of 2020 on, it's all been online. And uh, that's kind of fun because when Zoom like this, we can get a small group together and actually work through the process as a cohort. And that's powerful because, you know, sharing music creates these connections that you don't have any other way. Yeah. And what do we need these days if we don't need anything more? It's more than anything, we need connections, right? Yeah. right. And, and meaning in our lives and whatever. And uh, working together in Zoom, especially with this kind of a focus, like focusing in on how music works on us, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And um, I, I used to do this, you know, for groups and stuff. And of course I've been in one-on-ones and whatever it's the, the, the way that this happens, but to scale it up and to be able to do it with zoom, it's been a real gift oh, yeah, to be able yeah, to do this because yeah. we can make online real life connections happen um, mm-hmm. over something that would otherwise probably just be, we'd talk about it on the phone, but we can actually make the music happen with each other in the middle of that. We don't record it. So we're not going to get, you know, dinged by ASCAP, which is fine. So, um, two, you can wander through it if you want to that way, but having people beside you, especially right now, uh, that's, I know it just feels so much better that way, James, it does, you know? It does, it does. Oh, I just had two more questions for you and then, um, sure. We'll let you go. But, uh, I told you who I'm listening to. Can you, uh, give me some, um, of your favorite artists that I probably haven't not heard before? Oh my gosh, I have to go for strange ones you haven't heard before. I can't even tell you the name of all those Norwegian, um, oh, yeah. you know, folk song yeah. people. Right. Alexi Murdoch is one that came to me uh, relatively recently. Um, have you ever heard of Elisavita? No, sir. I have not. I'll put, you know, I'll send you an email with some of these. Okay. Um, she's had some pop stuff um, that's gotten some pretty decent airtime. Um, but there are, there are people out there who are recording things at a, at a level of authenticity, I think is what it is, that's brand new. Uh, especially with COVID, some of the stuff that's come out recently, even the stuff that's come out in support of the election, um, I won't mention any names because there's some pop stars in there, but mm-hmm. they're they're coming from a place of authenticity that really resonates for me. So if I'm hearing something for the first time and it gets me like like Talladega got you, it's like, right. oh man, I got to pay attention to this. This is important. 
So let me send you a couple of those um, okay, yeah, please like do. afterwards in email. You can post them. Yeah. But yeah, Elizabeth is one that people might know out there. Uh, Alexi Murdoch, of course, is one you might know out there. Um, there's some amazing new classical music being recorded, but I mean, oh my gosh, it's it's really weird. Um, the name John Adams is one that resonates for me, and um, I got to hear a symphonic work of his. There's a lot of John Adamses, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, I, I listen to this one, and um, it's not the John Adams that won a Pulitzer Prize for his classical music. It's another John Adams that also writes classical symphonic music. But it was just, I mean, I was in the symphony hall, it was full, and people around me were like, wow, what is this music? Yeah. And um, it was not Americana, but it was about the journey, you know, the process of being a human being. And it, it really resonated for people. I was, I thought it was the only one in the room that felt that way, but clearly everybody around me did too. So there's, there's great music being written these days and recorded and uh, oh, by, by all the bands right. mentioned the two tracks, check out the two tracks, people. They're amazing. Uh, they're sort of a folk Americana band. Oh, who else do I love? I mentioned Kebmo. People know him a lot. Um, he's out there, blues musician. Right. There's some great stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm so excited by the music that's out there these days. Yeah. So our final question for you is, uh, where can our great listeners find you on, on social media? Oh, my gosh. Everywhere. Okay, right? <laughs> so I, I am on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. I have recently, well, within the last three months or so, um, dumped my Twitter account, dumped my Facebook account. I am not anti-social media, but I am definitely trying to stay more authentic and more vulnerable. Okay. And uh, it's, it's not a political position, but it is definitely an anti-establishment position. And I think maybe for the first time in my life as a musician, I'm going anti-establishment on people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to offer folks who are listening the opportunity to see a great documentary called The Social Dilemma that's on Netflix. Take a look at that and uh, see if it changes your mind about social media. Now, having said all that, I recognize that it's a great way to publicize what you do. And um, I'm not immune to wanting to publicize what I do, but the best way and the quickest way to find me is to go to quest.musiccare.net. Okay. And with that as your starting point and landing page, you can find all, a whole bunch of, you know, it's like, that's where you go to start into the process. And then you won't have to worry about a whole bunch of handles. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so Bill Protzman, once you get to quest.musicure.net, you'll find me. All the websites, they're all there and just, you know, go for it. Go wild. Yeah. I'll look forward to seeing you there. Yeah. I understand about the, all the handles because I was like, uh, what? Oh, yeah, this is that handle. <laughs> you know, I got so many handles. It's, it's unbelievable, you know. Um, so, uh, it's, so thank you. Thank you very much for this interview with us tonight. Um, it's really amazing to, to hear you're taking your, your uh, journey to help millions of people around the world about music. So I just want to sincerely thank you're so you welcome, James. Thanks for thanks for this podcast. Yeah, you know when 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 words fail, you got music, man, and yeah, yeah for, for all the good reasons. Yes, thank sir. you. You've been listening to the When Words Fail, Music Speaks podcast. Stay tuned for more, and thank you for listening.